Hello, everybody, and welcome to another podcast of Life Alchemy. And Life Alchemy is brought to you by four coaches from very diverse backgrounds. And we came together on Clubhouse and through some other connections. And we do genuinely hold space for our clients, coaching them, enabling them to up-level their lives and live better lives in very different ways due to our different backgrounds. And so we found that the conversations we were having outside of the conversations we were having officially were really fascinating because we all had opinions about important topics, but we all really brought our truths, our backgrounds, our perspectives. So Life Alchemy is really us coming together, talking about topics that are of interest to us, but will definitely be of interest and relevance to you because they're topics that we're working on ourselves and working with our clients to enable them to live better lives with. Why alchemy? Well, it's about turning base metal into gold. And we are not saying that anybody listening is base metal, although potentially I might be. And we are turning that into something much more golden and something that really makes you feel as good inside as you're living a life outside. I'm Rosalind Palmer. I'm a transformational coach and therapist. And I'm joined by my three colleagues who will briefly introduce themselves. I'm going to go along the screen as it comes up. So I'm going to pass you over to Hema. Hi, I'm Hema Bakshi, a transformational coach. And next, Chris. Hi, I'm Chris Cook. I'm a former Olympian and now a coach, helping people to keep things simple. And Sarah. Um, hi, I'm a, a coach as well, um, and I help to unleash the secret big thinkers, creative dreamers, and free spirits. Love it. So as you can see, we're all coming from different places, but today we're all talking about the same thing. And our topic today is female leadership. Now, I recently interviewed the Honourable or former Honourable Anne Widdicombe, and she would be cross about this topic because when I asked her about being a woman in Parliament, she said I was in Parliament and I happened to be a woman. And so I think her take on female leadership would be, well, you're a leader and maybe you're a female, maybe you're a man or maybe you identify with a different gender. So why focus on female leadership? Well, very good question. And the reason we're focusing on female leadership, although I think our conversation will inevitably go wider, is that certainly at the end when the camera was switched off of our last conversation, we were sharing anecdotally, particularly Hema, Sarah and I, some of the ways we'd come up through business, learning our leadership insights and gains and some of them weren't very pretty or elegant and so we felt quite passionately that really we should enable people women and men let's face it to really navigate the business world and their lives better so that's our topic I don't know if any of you want to comment on that yeah I love what you said about Anne Whittacombe there I'm, I'm with her you know, it's, it's similar to when we're involved in sport. People will often say things like, oh, look at those disabled athletes. They're athletes before they're disabled. They're people before they're disabled. And it's the same analogy. It's the kind of same approach, the same mindset is a leader is a leader who just happens to be something else afterwards. <laughs> and 
I see it all the time. You know, I, I, I go to hear speakers on stage. I listen to leadership podcasts, all sorts of things. And I'm listening out for those golden nuggets, those um, life-changing moments, those words of inspiration. I'm not, I'm not just looking out for a, a person as such. And they can come from all different walks of life. So it always perplexes me how people tend to put people into categories, don't they? I mean, do you find that? Well, I do. And, you know, we're, we're almost shooting ourselves in the foot about the very topic that we've chosen. But we've really chosen the topic because I think yeah. it's going to raise two conversations just like the one we're already moving into, Chris. I... I do. I, I suppose where I, I read a book a couple of years ago called Visible or Invisible Women. And it actually made me proper angry, you know, when I read the book, because I'm going to declare it, you know, it's like I'm a recovering perfectionist. I'm a recovering feminist. OK, um, why do I say that? In my early 20s, um, back in the 80s, when I was at university, I had pink hair, a boiler suit, and I used to wear a badge that said a woman without a man is like a fish without a bicycle. Um, so you can sort of see where I was headed at the time. And it was the rise of, you know, feminism. Of course, it, it had already started before that. But we immediately were reading The Female Eunuch and we were reading Our Bodies Ourselves. And we were really learning to identify with our own power. And it saddens me, and, and this is gender neutral, when you have to fight to retain that power in any situation, and I'm sure men, I'm sure people from the wrong socio-ethnic group or the wrong side of the tracks or whose skin is maybe not the colour, you know, that was seen to be acceptable, um, I'm sure anybody can feel that. So for me, it's really about that. It's about you're not part of the club, but how do you own your power when you have to navigate in that world? I don't know if that resonates with anybody. Yeah, 100%. I think I think it's such a difficult thing because I I can relate to both sides. Like I don't I don't like the idea of, you know, putting people in boxes and kind of victimizing uh, certain people. Um but then at the same time, there is a reason why we're talking about why it's even a a topic of conversation of um, you know, women in leadership because it hasn't always been so easy and acceptable. And I'd say it probably still is, it's, it still is difficult for women to reach, you know, a leadership level. Um, so I think that's, it's a very, uh, it's a very difficult one. And it's like when the conversation we were having last week, you know, from the past. So if I think so corporate, my corporate experience has been over the last say 20, yeah, about 20 years and I was sharing how in the environment that I was in, it was very male dominated, that I was lucky, I was fortunate, I did have some really good um, female role models um, who I learned a lot from. But I found that the environment that I was in, it, I felt like whether it's like I felt like I had to be kind of more, um, have more, uh confrontational or like aggressiveness um in me to be heard because 
as a as a young woman in particular a young woman um kind of being very easily dismissed so I had to be quite vocal um quite aggressive or assertive um and it felt really like it wasn't in my nature to be like that and so I didn't really like the person that I had become but I felt like I had to be like that because when I looked around at other women who weren't um kind of matching up with the guys they were just being ignored and they were just being passed by um and I and I think it just sadly that is still the case um yeah And that came on the back of our conversation last week about yin versus yang, which is pretty much female versus male energy. And it was our conversation after that conversation that led us to this when I said that when I had a business development psychologist into my PR company in the 90s, he taught me how to behave extensively like a man in boardroom situations and there was a whole way of how you positioned yourself around the board table um I think I shared with you last week that one of my biggest takeaways from him was that women smile to please and men smile when pleased and if you watch Dragon's Den um although Deborah Meaden (laughs) clearly has taken her tips from the men um on the whole if you're pitching to a woman, say you're trying to give her an idea or something, she'll be like, yeah. <laughs> and the men are like, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of please me, sit back. And then at the end, if they're happy, then they smile and engage. And, and it gives a very different signal, um, unconsciously a very different signal. And so I, I did actually, you know, have business psychology tips on how to behave so that I didn't give my power away. But it was really and exhausting and I think Hema I remember when we had our sub conversation you talked about how you felt you needed to turn up yeah absolutely I think I think this whole topic is super fascinating because on one hand like what you said Chris I just see humans as humans you know people first and the labels and the color and gender and all the other stuff doesn't um influence what I think however I'm really aware that we're still in a world where that we, you know, as humans, we all have unconscious bias and that shows up. And in organisations, it's so prevalent. So, you know, personal experience, I believe everyone's equal, but I've also been in like the big financial institutions where I've had to, have to, I act, you know, I, I behaved in a way that I thought would get me where I needed to do and be as successful as I could. And now looking back, it's kind of funny. And I shared this story with you all last week and I'll share it again. But I remember um, I used to work for a big retail bank and I was asked to join this uh, high flying kind of leadership of the future thing. So I was like, oh, brilliant. I'm on the track to be a leader of tomorrow. So there I go to this like three day event and I walked into the room and there are, there's 20 delegates and 17 of them are men, and all 17 men were in the room, and I was the only woman that entered the room. The other two ladies were came after me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, as I walked in, I had this overwhelming, I'd never really noticed it, but this overwhelming, oh, my God, I don't know what to say. There's all these men, and, and I could hear them talking about, you know, I turn over this amount of money, and I was like, I don't, I don't even know what it means. Um, what, what's turnover? What? I was, it was all very uncomfortable. Anyway, so I took my very large handbag, which I feel now in retrospect was a bit like a shield, like body armor. 
and I sort of buried my head in it and thought, right, have a word with yourself. You're going to have to have a conversation. So I got my head out of the handbag and then I sort of strided over and stood with my legs open in the same way that a man stands, you know, slightly open. No, not slightly. They were quite open. I'm only five foot three. And I was looking up and I did the firmest handshake I could. And I did the sort of like, yeah. And I even sometimes lowered my voice. I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> and you know, nice to meet you. Anyway, it was all a bit weird. And they were all very lovely. But I walked back to my desk when we'd finished. And the first exercise in that in that room was, right, you've all met your colleagues. And many of you don't know each other. So on a post-it, write down the first one word that describes the first impression. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to get friendly. And funny that I thought friendly was a bad adjective. Mm. Uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to get friendly. I'm going to get, you know, fluffy. I don't know what else I thought they thought of me. Anyway, um, I then got this this pile of post-its. And as I was sort of third, so the guys were reading it out. And they were like, oh, friendly. And I remember going, ha, he got the word friendly. <laughs> it was very weird. And he, friendly, nice guy whatever else lovely descriptions when I opened my post-its literally these people hadn't I didn't know them they'd only this was purely on first impression my post-its were filled with direct to the point uh no nonsense and I thought oh my god what have I done like without even trying I'm not quite sure what persona I'm giving off and it was really interesting because I sort of looked at these people as that's what I should emulate and interestingly, as we went through the three days and we did some of the leadership exercises around kind of difficult communication, I saw that I excelled. And actually some of these grown men that were turning over millions of pounds or whatever they were doing froze because they were uncomfortable with having some of those difficult conversations. So it was a real lesson to me, I think, about, you know, how you show up and what even subconsciously you portray. And secondly, there's actual strength in just being yourself. And that was a really powerful three days for me. Um, but yeah, it spans, I think it spans everything. Like even at one point, I remember sitting in a room and they'd done, I don't know if you've ever come across the DISC profile. Oh yeah, yeah. Take your LinkedIn profile and do some sort of assessment. And this guy sat next to me and he's like, you ever had a look at your profile? And I was thinking, I don't know who you are and what do you want? But anyway... He, when he showed me my profile and the language that I used, it was all very like ball breakery. <laughs> and I realized, you know, it's really, really influenced, I think, like how I show up. And, you know, I had to like unlearning some of that and then relearning that actually being your true self can actually be more powerful. Something I'm still it's about daring to be authentic, isn't it? And yeah. I watched the Friends reunion last night. There it is, I've admitted it publicly. And my niece had watched it and she said, It's such a shame what Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox have done to their face. Um, and they both had some work, shall we say. Um and they both still look lovely, but they don't quite look like themselves. And I said to my niece, and we agreed that what we found really sad was that two such incredibly successful, powerful, fantastic actors felt the need, felt the need and the pressure 
to have to constantly look young, which has obviously led them to do what they've done. And I found that really, that's the sad bit. Not what they've done, it's their body, they can do what they want, but I find it sad that they found the need when you think how incredibly successful they are. Um, So there is that societal pressure. I'm interested, have you found this in sport, Chris? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what we're really talking about here is mimicking. That's what we're talking about. And is when we're little, when we're growing up, and, and that's really, really, really important that we, we learn to mimic because that's how we learn to walk. I mean, babies don't don't kind of try to learn to walk and go, oh, I've fallen over two or three times, I'll just give up. <laughs> you know, they see other people walking about and they just, they, failure's not part of their makeup until we get older. So I think mimicking is a huge part of our lives and an important one. But at a certain point, we need to, like Hema said, we need to cut that loose and learn what is our flow, what is what is it with us. So in sport, we see it a lot. You know, you you have role models. So somebody who breaks a world record, generally, in, so in swimming, for example, somebody somebody will break a world record in an event, and everyone will start to copy that stroke. It might be just a subtle difference, like instead of bending their elbow, they'll they'll keep a straight arm. Everybody now starts doing it right across the world, and what invariably happens is. There's a little bit of a concertina effect. So everybody kind of catches that person up. And then somebody else comes along with a different technique, smashes the world record, and now everybody goes and tries to do something different. And there's a point at which in an athlete's career where you realize that you're chasing something that will only ever make you be second best. It will only ever make you be second best, at Mm -hmm. best. And if you really want to be a trailblazer in any industry – there comes a point at which you have to take yourself to the market. You have to take yourself to the event and you have to put your own fingerprint on it because we've got a fingerprint that's unique for a reason. It's unique for a reason. And we've got to put that fingerprint on the world and take that risk. But coming back to what Hema was saying, we often think, oh, well, if I just mimic, then I'll fit in. We're not yeah. here to blend in. We're not Magnolia. We're not. It, it, it's pointless going out the world with a, I'm going to make everything magnolia because nobody's ever turned their heads to that. We've got to go with we've got to go with that colourful palette that we've got on our fingerprint in our hearts, and we've got to do that ourselves. That's my belief, anyway. I I would never describe Hammer as magnolia, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. But it's interesting how you got that feedback because that's not how you've shown up to me. So you showed up with someone else, and you got someone else's feedback that day, which is. It's fascinating, but when we take responsibility for that, like you have done, you go, actually, that's not me, and I don't want that. I'm just going to be me. You get this deluge of wonderful comments and wonderful vibe around, and people want to be around you when you're yourself. You you do, but I think society has to be at that stage, and and I suppose as you know, the, the, the former reformed feminist, and you know, I'm still a feminist, or I have feminist traits because I don't – don't really know what the dictionary definition is but if it means that women are equal then <laughs> and there I am I am that person what saddens me is I see some of this still going on today and in the 90s particularly when I was probably you know at that kind of really boom 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 part of my career I think we thought that some of the stuff was just a hangover from the 80s or even the 70s and that by the time our daughters or that generation um, were in the workforce, it would be okay. Um, I mean, um, 
I went for an interview in the 80s to Marks and Spencers, I don't mind naming it. Uh, and I was told, and I'd done an undergraduate management course with them. And so it was a shoe in, absolute shoe in to get a really good management graduate training position. And the guy at their head office, I'd put down and wanted to be in commercial management, which is on the shop floor. It's where the action's at. There's three, staff management, back in the day, staff management, commercial management, and merchant warehouse, you know, the, the, the goods. And he actually said to me, oh, pretty girl like you, you're probably going to marry a lawyer or a doctor, have children, and will have wasted all that money on you. So I'm not putting you forward for that. You can do no staff way. management. You can do no staff way. management. And I was like, I'm not interested in staff management. I'm interested in commercial management. And he went, that's what I'm putting you forward to. Mm. So... Surprise, surprise, I didn't work for them, which is probably a blessing. <laughs> but that's a genuine story. And and there's thousands of those stories. And when I sold my business, the, the people who bought the business, and I'm their boss because they merged two companies into one. Um, and the two guys who reported to me told me one lunchtime that they were going to have lunch. They'd love to invite me, but it was a gentleman's only club in London. And so uh, I wouldn't be coming along. And I was their boss. Mm. Um, my ex-husband joined a club in London where if I went to meet him after he'd had drinks, I had to sit in the ladies waiting room by the no. toilet. Yeah, I kid you not. And that was no. the 90s. And so, surprise, surprise, I decided that that wasn't going to happen <laughs> for very long. But it, it saddens me that, and this is my theory about the Margaret Thatchers of the world, a lot of those women of that age, they had to out-men the men. They were doing they were doing hammer on acid. <laughs> you know, they were doing the, <laughs> whoa, look at me. I, you know, and I genuinely think a lot of them had to do that because I think that they thought that being feminine or turning up with those feminine qualities would actually be a detriment and and I just feel absolutely what you're saying authenticity is it in leadership in life in anything but if you feel the pressure that you if you turn up and be authentic it's actually going to be detrimental to you there lies the problem mm. that's what, um, exactly what I was I was going to say Rose is that um, 100% you know about being authentic and being yourself but exactly that is that if the society or the environment in which you're in um, isn't a good fit for that what do you do do you take yourself out of that situation but then you think well why should I because maybe you've spent years studying or it's something very specialist um, that this is the this is the only environment for you for you to to do what it is that you want to do um, so in that kind of situation, you know, what happens, like why there are like Ross was saying earlier about having like um, like psychology based training. Um, it's the same as anything, isn't it? Like body language and, um, you know, like, yeah, like if you're like slouched down, it's no different from from that. It's just a, an extension of that as to how to be successful um, at work or, you know, whichever. And for some people that is not inherently, you know, their authentic natural self um mm. and they have to conform so it's a difficult one I think maybe it's just like a personal decision whether that individual just makes that decision as to whether you know is um what I want to achieve is it worth sacrificing those parts of who I am um am I in the right environment yeah 
And mm. one thing, like since going out and leaving the corporate world, I think Hema mentioned it earlier, you know, I've spent so much time unlearning certain habits and um, yeah. and ways of being. Um, and finally, you know, I'm, I just show up as I am. But I think that helps because I've created my own environment and, and I'm drawn to, um, you know, I spend my time at some co-working spaces and I've met lots of individuals and small business owners and independent businesses. And one thing that I find so inspiring um, is that there are loads of women. There are actually loads of female business owners. Um, mm-hmm. I would say more so in the places that I go, there are more female um entrepreneurs than there are men and it's interesting it's a question you know why is that is it because they've mm. gone into the corporate and it's not a right fit for them so like actually do you know yeah. what i'm just going to do my own thing yeah, yeah i wonder i think i think it's really interesting because i've got a few female clients that have kind of hit some stumbling blocks similar to what we're talking about now that they feel the need to change themselves in order to be taken seriously and the first, I've got two questions for them. I always say, do you feel like it's happening to you or around you? And every single time they say to me. And I say, the second you say that, you become, you place yourself at the centre of being a victim of it. Yeah. Because if it's happening around you, you can then start to do something about it. It might be, you might have a ton of stories that are linked to you in a really bad position, but you're the one who's linking the stories and there's no getting around it. You're the common denominator in the whole process. And the second people start looking for a different way, likes of the New Zealand Prime Minister, she's been fantastic over the last 18 months now. She's done so much prior to that, but we've only seen it coming good now. And this leads me on to my point is, in order to build confidence in the masses, they need evidence. The brain needs evidence. In anything, in order to build confidence, we need evidence. And in order to get evidence, we have to go through something. Luckily for that prime minister, now she's in a position where she's actually got now a track record and people are trusting her even more, which is fantastic. Mm. But it's a prime example of someone who's come into power and gone, hang on a second, I'm not going to do what those guys did. I'm not even going to sprinkle a little bit of what they did. I'm going to do something different. And for me, there's a difference in mindset from the start is this is not happening to me. This is happening around me and I'm here to fix it. I think um, I think that's a really important point, Chris, actually, that whole victim mindset. And the minute that you sit in that position, you do give away your power because everything happens to yeah. you. But actually, you know, going back to the, I think Sarah said it earlier, you know, like, are we in those corporate environments, for example, mm-hmm. and do we leave them um, or so to, to create a place that feels right for us? But I also think there's an opportunity if you're in those environments to create a change, because I think as you rise through those organizations, there is a way to say, actually, things can be done differently. We can operate a bit differently. And I, I that sort of like wide leg stance and like firm handshake that I developed was very much at my early careers, like early on in my career. And as I think, you know, just before I left like the corporate world, I felt a little bit different from other people around me. I didn't have, if I'm honest, I don't think I looked around me and saw really great female role models. But I also saw that if I was able to like bring relationships into what we were doing and actually have honest communication and actually allow emotion into the workplace in the right way, and if I could do all of that, I suddenly saw how by me stepping forward and doing that, I was enabling other people around me to, to follow suit. So I think... 
there's always an interesting question, not only what is it doing for you, but how can you use your position to help others around you? Um, and it just gets a little bit easier that way. Um, Absolutely. But I think you're right. And But I think the world is begging for different leadership now. And especially in the UK, with the leadership we've seen happen, a lot of it is about how you know people want to be led in a completely different way they just don't know it yet was it henry ford who had said um if i'd asked people what they wanted years ago before the automobile they would have said faster horses and that's exactly right it's the same with the trains they said they'd say faster trains rather than an airplane yeah yeah but it needed him to come with his ideas and his innovation to completely change the mindset of the masses so when you have clients you're working with now in your coaching, uh, wearing your coaching hats, everybody, and they if they came to you and Chris, you've already given some golden nuggets about how you would advise somebody who's maybe turning up and saying, I, I just can't function within that environment. If they're a woman or, or whoever they are, that they can't function or be authentic. What advice would you give them? Well, often it's very, it's really interesting going back to the mindset, um, you know, Chris has uh, brought up and it's it's really that. Um, often I get them to be really curious and explore what is the truth. So is it based on their own assumptions, um, which often very much is. And then once you kind of peel that away and look at, you know, what are the actual facts and then think, you know, kind of look at how to respond and show up and be yourself. Um and see what the result is from that and often it's not you know it's never what they actually it's not the negative thing that they think and it frees them up to then be more outspoken and i think as long as you are have that courage to speak up um use your voice and then if it falls flat on deaf ears then you know you're probably not in the right place but you know very likely you know you could have a really positive response so my, uh, my advice would be take a little bit of time just to, to really assess what your true strengths are, what you feel your superpower is, you know, because as Chris mm-hmm. said earlier, we all have a really unique um, fingerprint. And sometimes we don't, we spend time working, looking at other companies or our clients or other, we look outwards to see people's strengths and help them to realize their potential but I think yeah actually take a moment to really understand what's unique about you what do you do almost brilliantly if you're not sure ask people they'll give you some insight that you just perhaps didn't notice um and yeah really really take note of that I think and recognize your strengths because um I think that is a really powerful place from which to operate and where to like you know powerful place to show up from so yeah yeah i think um you know even just based on the fact that imposter syndrome doesn't discriminate mm. it doesn't know your gender your sex your color your skin or whatever it just it can strike people at any time so i always start off with what is the vision of the person that you're trying to grow into who are you who are you morphing into who are you becoming so i start off with that vision and try to get them to visualize who they want to be then I start to tiptoe through, well, what are the threats and distractions to that becoming a reality? And just start to build a picture around where are you looking? Because we live in a world now where there's so many things fighting for our attention all the time, constantly. 
Oh, and wow. then the last thing I always ask is, and I hate coping strategies. I, I prefer to use thriving ones. <laughs> For me, coping is just about kind of head just above, <laughs> take a breath and then back <laughs> under. I would never want to do that. So I always say to them, well, what, how are we going to thrive? How are we going to thrive? And how are we going to connect with that genius inside? Because instead of getting distracted on the outside, we need to, like Hema said, reflect on the in and bring that out. And as we bring that out, other people see it. And they start to correlate with the sound of our, our own song. Oh, I love that. And I was thinking, how would I answer that question? And I'm going to wear my therapist rather than my coach's hat. And I was very influenced a few years ago by a gay agony aunt called Dan Savage. And I would highly recommend, in fact, I'm all, I'm segueing into WTF now, everybody, which um isn't what you think it is, but it's really who to follow or who influences ours. And Dan Savage has a great YouTube video called The Price of Admission. And it's really about relationships. You know, what is your price of admission? So I'm in a fantastic relationship. It's all great. But my partner chews with his mouth open. <laughs> it drives me mad. I've tried to tell them. It drives me insane. La, la, la. Everything else is brilliant. Okay. That's your price of admission. That's the price you are paying to admit you into that relationship. And I will say to my therapy clients, um, so women, is the price of admission you're paying to this world and this success that you're actually not being your authentic self or you're getting rid of your feminine side or you're you're not at one with yourself you're not congruent you're not mm. and and when we're not congruent with ourselves it leads to massive pain it's not just i don't feel enough or i feel like i'm an imposter of course it shows up in different ways that's how it shows up but it's really that horrible pain inside equally for the men the price of admission often to this powerful world where they're shaking hands and standing with their legs <laughs> open and doing the whole thing is that they're really sacrificing something. And often that's their family life or their more intimate connections. And I remember I had a client in the 90s who was super duper successful around one of the biggest ad agencies in the world and we had lunch with a journalist and at the end of it he said do you have a minute and he actually started to cry and he took a picture out from his inside suit pocket and gave it me and his son who was about five or six had been told to draw a picture of my daddy and the picture was him with his back to him and on the phone mm. And that was a that was a wake up call for him that the price of admission he was paying for that top, top job was that his son only ever saw the back of his head when he was on the phone to somebody else. So he absolutely rebalanced his life. So we men, women, everybody, what's your price of admission? What what about your WTF guys? Anybody want to go? <laughs> My WTF would be um I just really love the work of Brené Brown. So she yeah, talks a lot about vulnerability, you know, um, courage, dare, you know, that aspect of being bold and courageous. And I think she talks about it in a way that it really resonates with everybody. You know, it resonates with whether you're male, female, you know, it, it's something, as Chris said earlier, it doesn't discriminate. So, um, yeah, the, the idea of vulnerability in some of her work and research in that I think is quite inspiring. I love the idea of, um, and I do this a lot, 
a quote that re- resonate with you. And I always ask myself, why is it resonating with us? Um, so I'll see quotes online. So there's a great one. It's a great one to follow called Leadership First on LinkedIn. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Some lovely, lovely quotes. And I take some of them and I, I always ask myself, what's missing for me? You know, am I being led in the right way? Am I leading in this way? And because I often see those as little nudges of life, just giving me a little bit of an elbow to go, you need this now. And it's those quotes that really helped me on my journey as well. Brilliant. And Sarah? Um, yeah, everything you guys have said. And also, uh, who to follow? Looking at people in your environment who that you know that you see as very authentic, very congruent, um, you know, I've got a number, I can think of a number of people and I just love spending time with them and just they are inspiring, just your average, everyday, normal, real people. And if you haven't got anyone like that, seek them out. Yeah. <laughs> find them. Yeah, find your tribe. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. And thank you for listening, everybody. You have been listening to Life Alchemy. I'm sure there are a few golden nuggets within there. Uh, uh, broadcast today we do transcribe um, each episode so if you did want a transcript please drop one of us um, in line we also all have tons of free resources there's calls that you can hop on with any of us and so we'd love to hear from you love your feedback do subscribe to future episodes and tune in again next week to life alchemy Um, I'm Roslyn Palmer. Thanks from me, from Chris, from Hema, from Sarah. And we look forward to being on this journey again with you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.